In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' loss to the Milwaukee Bucks and how much, if any, we take away from that game when we project forward to a potential playoff matchup. We then quickly go over the reported changes on the new collective bargaining agreement that was agreed upon over the weekend, which will begin next season, and how those changes might impact the Sixers. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined once again by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. We have four more games left until the real uh, thing. Four more games left, yep. Uh, Boston here on Tuesday, Miami on Thursday, then two on the road against the Hawks and the Nets, which will not mean anything at all, at least not for the Sixers. Sixers currently have a 90... I think it's a 98.8 or something like basically a 99% chance of finishing with that third seed. Brooklyn is pretty well locked in, not quite as well locked in, but pretty well locked in for that six seed. So we pretty much know what the first round is going to look like. There's not much reason to play for anything outside of maybe getting Embiid and Harden back up to speed. That was true for last night's game against the Bucks, a 117 to 104 loss, which <laughs> in various different ways, it looked pretty bad from James Harden having a real down game and struggling with Drew Holiday. A lot of decisions that Doc Rivers made that we can question. Joel Embiid having a so-so game. Yada, yada, yada. The Bucks dropping 41 on the Sixers in the first quarter. And I guess we can sort of start off there. How much do you take that as, whoa, those are some signs we should look at in a playoff matchup? And eh, I'm not sure they really cared. In your mind, do you think some of that comes down to just they didn't really approach that like they would a playoff game and things will be different. I think it was very much that. And I, I think it was a combination of that and the Bucks just got completely embarrassed at home by Boston earlier in the week. Yep. They were the much more rested team. I don't think they had played since Thursday um, and they got to sit at home that whole time. And yeah, I don't think the Sixers from the coaching staff to the players treated that exactly like a playoff game. Like there were some things where, you know, I liked that Embiid was switching one to five early in the game where, you know, he, he was out. He was not letting the, the Brooke Lopez pick and pops happen. And Milwaukee was super focused and they came out. And while I think the Sixers focus wasn't there, some of their shot making was ridiculous yeah. in that first yep. quarter. Some of those middled in shots on Embiid. If, if the Sixers play a playoff series, and Chris Middleton is making those shots on Embiid at that rate, they're going to lose. There's just, and by the way, everybody's going to lose. I watched that game against Boston earlier this week, and you could tell me Boston has better personnel or whatever. Chris Middleton was hopeless. What, what is this? He's drilling threes in Embiid's face. So it's a little bit of both. I think Milwaukee really wanted the game. Sixers treat it like a regular season game, and we can kind of talk about that. And also, I, I thought Milwaukee's first quarter was just that they made every single shot, and some of that was lackadaisical Sixers stuff. It was also just crazy shooting, too, as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially at this time of year, especially so close to the playoffs, I think we want to make every loss, every game, every performance a referendum of the playoffs. The you know Sixers dropped, what was it, 46 on the Bucks in the fourth quarter a couple weeks ago. Oh, they've solved all of their demons. They're ready to go. Bucks drop 41 in the first quarter here, and oh my God, let's panic. 
Look, I think there's some real concerns over how the Sixers match up with the Bucks. They haven't really played good defense against them in either game. They haven't really stopped them at any stage, even in the game that they lost. They just outshot them. I think there's concern because the Bucks pretty theoretically have a pretty good matchup against the Sixers two stars. We saw Drew Holiday pester uh, James Harden here in this one. We've seen, you know, even when Embiid's having success, he's not having success like he normally does. Uh, you know, against the Bucks, I think he averaged about half as many free throws as he does against the rest of the league. That's a concern. That doesn't Good mean he can't there. do it. He can certainly, you know, step into those mid-range jumpers. He'll have nights where he doesn't shoot one for six or one for seven from three or whatever he was last night. He will find ways to uh, have success, but it's a little bit tougher for him at times. Sure, sure, sure. We all have our questions about Doc Rivers in the playoffs. But I definitely thought, especially when he t- started talking about rotations, and, and, you know, Doc going with, I mean, I don't want to give him, let him off the hook for pulling Embiid with four fouls because I freaking hate that move. We've been very consistent about that all year. It put them in a really bad spot. But do I think he's going to have a different approach in the playoffs? Maybe not necessarily with that fourth foul because he just seems petrified of the possibility that Embiid might have his minutes cut early. No, but like other decisions, other rotations, other ways he will go about it. I didn't think that they necessarily viewed that as a, We've got to use this game to, you know, try to match up against a team we might face in a couple of weeks. It was probably a little more of, well, let's not reveal anything against a team we might meet in a couple of weeks because this I game so. doesn't really mean anything in the one loss column. So I think there are legitimate concerns. And Harden's probably where you start just because every game feels like a, well, how did the Achilles look in this one? And he certainly didn't look like he was at the top of his game, but I'm not sure that was as much physical as it was mental. He just didn't seem like he was all the way there like he was maybe against the Raptors because he looked really good against the Raptors physically just a you know, two days earlier. But that was a you know tough performance all around for sure. I just don't think it's like panic inducing. Yeah. Agreed. I, I just thought Harden was lackadaisical. And, yeah. you know, the game on Friday against Toronto was like the best sign you could ever have because he yeah. showed the scoring gear where they put him in with the small lineup and he was dominant, you know, step back threes. God, the move he put Friday night on Anunoby at the end of that game. That yep. was sick. Man. Yep. And yeah, I get it. He didn't get all the way to the rim. That's OG freaking Anunoby. That's a yeah. hard guy to score on. And he shook and, him clean. And he was matchup hunting when he could. Like he looked re- again, that Toronto defense has been real good ever since the Pearl trade. Real good. Like, I think top five good, haven't they? Somewhere in that range. Yeah. They've been real good. And that's a and tough they, matchup for him historically. And Harden in particular made them look really bad in the yep. first half of that game. Uh, but let's, okay, so lackadaisical effort. Yeah, I just thought his, I don't know, they, they were just bad turnovers. They were just like bad decisions. Like it was yeah. just the passes were off target. They were a beat late. That stuff doesn't bother me as much because that's just like, okay, James has to play a very precise game with his passing. Most of the time it works out. Um, And and the other reason he struggled was I thought the the Bucs, it's very clear, and the Sixers know this, that the way to beat them is Brooke Lopez is in that drop. They play traditional coverage. And that foul line jumper is theoretically open and beat. Now he made like three or four of them in the first quarter. But as the game went on, I thought Drew Holiday needed two things. He did not let Harden match up hunt. He did not let him get the Chris Middleton, Grayson Allen, Joe Ingles, whoever the hell they were trying to get matched up. And he denied that pocket pass, which is freaking hard to do. 
Yep. Get around Joel Embiid's screen and then be a nuisance to James Harden. Um, and I just thought he did a really good job as the game went on. And uh, look, the Sixers are going to have to counter that. And it's it's true. Like, you mentioned it. You know, we, we think that the Sixers are probably a team that matches up better against the Bucks, But it's weird to say because the Bucks. Is, is there a better 5-1 defensive combo for Embiid Harden than Holiday Lopez? Probably not, no. And there I might think be we better saw that. defenders against James, but none that then have a center who can match up like Embiid, or like Lopez can on Embiid one-on-one. So it's not the easiest matchup in the world. And look, I, I think the Sixers can beat that team. And, and especially they can beat that team when they play at home as well. I don't know. I, I don't really think they showed a ton there. Uh, here is a question, though. Beyond they split, Harden. right? Um, did they play yeah, they four split. games or three? Yeah, they, split they played four. Yeah. They, uh, they split at home, which started with the 88-86 slugfest in game <laughs> two. It yeah. was the Bucks' first game of the year when everybody wondered, is Embiid good at basketball anymore? And uh, <laughs> he, over the next five months, said, yeah, I am pretty good at basketball. So, you, you know, like... He was not very good last night, but hey, it could be worse, right? I mean, he was a disaster in that first game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not, like, too concerned. Like, I think the Bucks also, they, they were mad about that last game. The Sixers embarrassed them in that fourth quarter. That was what, 46 points, whatever you said, 48 yeah. points. Yep. That was a hungry team. They, they were motivated for a lot of reasons. Now, I will say this. If the Sixers do not treat this game on Tuesday night like that, then there is something wrong with them. They need to be the motivated team for this one game here. They need to be the ones that at least can prove to themselves, hey, we we got to show Boston that we can beat them. Um, but I'm not, like, freaking out about that game. Here, here's one thing I noticed about that. Uh, the Bucks game that I think also transferred over from the game before. Look, I, I am I, – I understand P.J. Tucker could have some value in the playoffs – and I, guess I understand. <laughs> I understand he does the little things and all those things. I'm not sure he can play against that team. Yeah. Because yeah. Giannis, like the way Doesn't. Boston beat Giannis is Tatum and Brown are calling him up in the screen and saying like, we're going to beat you one-on-one because we don't want you near the rim. And, and they made step back threes. And I, I don't think Boston's going to shoot like that every night. Like they did on uh, what was it Thursday? Yeah. Thursday. But if PJ Tucker's in the corner and you can't have him screen for Harden or whoever, you know, Maxi, whoever, and Giannis could just play on the back line the whole time. Holy shit. It just it makes life on Joe really hard. It's just yeah. So Yeah, PJ Tucker look, PJ made three threes against uh Toronto. Season high in both makes and attempts. That was good to see. It helps when you make two of them in the first like minute of the game. Before the last that, one he, came. The last one came. Yeah, right. After a end. full half yeah. of Pirtle playing off him and yeah. kind of mucking it up. Yeah, uh, he had made just five threes in his previous thirteen games leading into that. You can't. This was a dude who a couple years ago was making two per night. You can't have him making one every three games. Like teams are going to help off of him to an insane degree, and Milwaukee has consistently done that. He hasn't. Look, the last two games, he has nine attempts over two games. That's good. If he does that for a couple weeks in a row in the playoffs, maybe teams actually start guarding him in the corner. But he's gone so long without doing that that 
it's a huge concern. And teams like Milwaukee are very comfortable helping off of him. It certainly does get in the way. And quite frankly, he's not exactly stopping Giannis at this stage. Anyway, no, he, and, and going to him in a small lineup there was a little shocking too. Uh, yeah, he, he's got a tough role in that series for sure. But we have a couple weeks to worry about that uh, and a couple of series wins before it even matters. Yeah. I guess that's the other thing too. It's like, well, they're not going to play Milwaukee unless they get past Boston. Right. So, right. They would have to have more success than they have ever had in the playoffs in order for any of this to matter. And it could, it could, it but could. it's, it's, it's a long way off. Uh, yeah. And I just think as far as I think everybody is going to help off PJ Tucker in the playoffs and that team is unique, uniquely set up. Yeah. And that dude is uniquely set up to screw you up more than anybody doing that strategy. Everyone will help off of PJ, but Giannis provides more help than anyone in the league. Not great. So it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard. And I, I am prepared for that. They, PJ's shooting has been bad enough where I don't know how another team doesn't start the game and say like, we got to just dare this guy to shoot. Like he, he doesn't want to shoot. And a lot of times too, you can have your cake and, and eat it too, where it's like the Sixers will kick the ball out to the corner. And if it is not directly in his shooting pocket, yeah, he's going to take five seconds to, to load up. Like you can, if you have a good help defender, like I wonder if the Nets in that opening round series I, like they have a million different options, whether it's Finney Smith or Bridges or whatever, but yeah. they're going to have a long dude just mucking shit up for Embiid. They could put Claxton in that role, even you know, it's even uh, a even a slow ass team like the Sixers. You know, I think a lot of people get on the Sixers for overhelping, and they do at times. I'm not sure they necessarily help all that much more than other teams. They just can't recover because they've got slow athletes, especially in the forward spots. Uh, even the Sixers can recover out the PJ Tucker. His release is that slow. And that's where, you know, maybe maybe George is, it was bad last night. The bench was pretty much bad outside of Paul Reed. Just, yep. It was not a very good bench game. Melton was bad. He's been very up and down as of late. Um, yeah, I, I just think that, uh, that PJ might not be able to play in that series. And, and there are other things that the Sixers did. No one beat on Giannis the entire game. I don't think they go a playoff series without doing that. I'm not sure you can do it the entire game because of foul trouble. Giannis shoots the most free throws in the league. He also gets an unbelievable whistle. There was a play in the first quarter. He just threw PJ to the ground. And I'm thinking like, man, yeah. at worst, at worst, that's got to be a no call. Like you can't now PJ's not stopping him. So like, I, I, this is not an in defense of PJ. He's going to be like the, uh, the problem solver there. No, yeah, but if he I mean, gets that whistle against Embiid and he gets in foul trouble because of it, like that's a concern. So it's a little bit of both, but I think Embiid needs to, you need to show Giannis Embiid. Now, are the Sixers going to switch everything? And I don't know. It's going to tire Joel out because I think if Giannis is up against Embiid, they're going to do two things. They're going to tell Giannis to bull his way to the rim and try and draw one or two cheap fouls on Joel. And the other thing they're going to do is screen for him where, okay, how does Joel play pick and roll ball handler defense, you know, is, yeah. he, is he ducking under screen? It's not easy is, is my point. Uh, you know, maybe that's a thing the Sixers end up switching or whatever, but uh, that was another thing. Uh, I think it's, it's a decent Paul Reed matchup. Like I think Paul Reed yep. does a good ish job on Giannis. Like he can't stop Giannis, but grabbed a couple boards, plays with the requisite energy and force. We've seen him block a shot a couple times in the past. Like it's not, 
so so to take him out and go small ball, I don't think it's the matchup for that either. Uh, there was a lot of things. It, it was not a good duck game. I, we can. I, I am usually the person who says people are freaking out too much about Doc. Oh, no. If, that, he, it, if he makes those decisions in a playoff game, we will be on him for those. Uh, I do think part of it comes down to that that he wasn't approaching this as a, a high-profile regular season matchup. He was approaching it as a game where pretty much everything is locked in. But yeah, if he makes those same decisions, he, they they can't. They they gave up too much margin last night to uh, to do that in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think you can give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on that because he's very much, I don't want to show my cards until yep. the playoffs. That's the way a lot of coaches are, by the way. A lot of veteran coaches... And, and the issue is, if you go vanilla against the Bucks, the Bucks are the best vanilla team in the week. Like they're, that's how they've won a million games all these years. Their their vanilla system works. And the problem is sometimes when teams adjust in the playoffs, they can't keep up. So that's kind of what happened in last night's game. But like we can mention the bad things. No Embiid on Giannis. Like that's got to happen more in the playoffs. Like you said, the, the fourth foul thing. There's two minutes left in the quarter. Let him finish the freaking quarter, it man. Insane. It drives me insane. And again, regular season, yada, yada, yada. That can't happen in the playoffs. It can't. It can't. Well, and, and I actually saw it like they were zoomed in on Doc after the foul because he was complaining about it because it was like that weird one where Brooke Lopez like helicoptered in the lane and he was like not even looking at the basket and somehow got a shooting foul out of it. But it was on Embiid. And because Doc was complaining... They showed the bench and Sam Cassell runs up to him. He's like, he's got four. He's got four. And like, Sam is like, Sam's the one doing it. Like he's throwing Paul Reed into the game. So that's clearly the mandate. It's like, it's automatic. He goes to the bench. Joel needs to watch his fouls, but specifically like, okay, if it's the second minute of the third quarter, okay. okay like you, you probably have to deal with it a little bit, but man, with two minutes left in the third quarter, come on, man. Let him get to the end of the quarter, and of course, I, I think the, uh, I think they went on like a seven, yeah, eight, three bad. run. Maxi hits one ridiculous step back three. Congrats, he's playing awesome. Like good, good for him. But it's a layup line on the other end because yep. you can't score. Like the Giannis buckets are so freaking easy. So that's annoying. Then he goes to Paul Reed. Paul Reed is playing pretty well, and at one point he's just like, "All right, we got to go small ball against him." <laughs> That's worked in a couple games. Like that worked yeah. in the Cleveland game earlier this year. I, I'm not saying that. I think sometimes people think that there aren't nights like the, the, where where Paul Reed is not the answer. Some nights it, it's just not his night. I will say that's happening less and less. He's playing very well. Last night was not the night to go small ball no. with uh, PJ Tucker. Not so that because was, of that team, and not because I mean Paul Reed was playing well last night. Yeah, he's playing great. He's playing better than anybody. Like. Besides Tyrese Maxey, he was probably exceeding expectations more than anybody. And Joel Embiid, like by that, definition, that pivot going from second best player to exceeding expectations, the second most. That was a real good way of not debating, like Embiid. That was a good job. That was a good, good podcasting job by you. I appreciate that. Love B-Ball Paul. I don't. I don't think he's ever going to be better than Joel. <laughs> but you started off with second best player, and then you very quickly. Yeah. It, was, it was well done. It was very seamless, which is why I had to call it out. Paul's playing great though, and and I think he probably does deserve more of the benefit of the doubt. Where he should be getting all ten of these minutes that Joel yeah. doesn't play in the playoffs. I think, unless it's a disaster, unless it's like, all right, you're getting outscored 
you know, 10 to 2, and it's clear that he's just not making the right pass or whatever. But that's happening less and less. That Raptors game, he was tearing them up in the pick and roll with Harden. So if I had to tell you my biggest takeaway from last night's game, what would you think it is? Or my, my biggest positive? Oh, Maxi. No Dwayne Dedman. Yeah. Very oh, no happy that this looks like, because, you know, first of all, this was the matchup that we said, ah, this may be the one where Dwayne would make sense. Well, he hasn't really played in either game. And after Doc saying, well, we got to get Dwayne minutes, he hasn't really gotten many minutes. And with B-Ball playing well, I think I'm, you know, I wavered a little bit on Doc keeping B-Ball Paul as a backup center a couple podcasts ago. I think I'm, I think I'm back. That might be my biggest takeaway. And Maxi, I mean, you mentioned run Maxi's on. Since March 1st, 23 points per game, shooting 53.2% from three on nearly seven attempts per night. 6.9 attempts per night. It's insane run he's on. If you go to both of our timelines, we have a thread where there is a st- statistical case that he is the best shooter in the NBA over the last two years. I go to either Rich or my Twitter. Uh, we re- both retweeted that thread. I'm not sure I'd quite go there, but he has certainly been in the running. You'd like to see that volume increase just a little bit. It is tough to take more than seven threes per night. I'll look, I'll take it, man. He's a high volume, high degree of difficulty, and he's making freaking 53.2% of them. It's insane the run that he's on. Some of the step backs he's hitting are just wild yeah. too. They, these are not easy shots. And yeah, I'm with you. Like I, I sometimes I, I do think we're like, ah, oh, you got to get up 10 per game and it's hard. It gets to, to get up 10 per game. You either got to be like Duncan Robinson, like, like a gunslinger like that, or you have to be like a superstar, like Dave Lillard or Steph Curry. I think Maxi eventually can get there with his shot creation ability, but the way he started, I mean, we were asking him to take any threes to, yeah. to begin. No, when he, you know, when he, he came a, out of Kentucky, you had no idea if he could be on any volume. He was a low volume, low accuracy shooter, both at Kentucky and his rookie year. So yep. something has clicked over the past couple of years. Look, it's one of the most important things the Sixers have done. On on draft night, Daryl Morey said, we believe in his shot. We've watched his shot. Free throws have been good. We think he's going to shoot it well. And that was a guess at the time. That's what pretty much any GM would say, you know, when there's kind of a We'll call it a projection. That might be the nicer way of saying guess. Yeah. But they made that bet, and they were absolutely right. Yep. And that's how you get a steal in the draft. And... I mean, what, he's up to 43, 44% on the season yep. on, I think, 6.5 per uh, 36, which is yep. an increase off last year. So, like, he a, is a, making A big increase. And going back to your point, because Embiid has, has thrown out the number 10, it gets brought up every now and then. It's a nice round number. When I say I want to see 10 threes a game from Tyrese Maxey, what I mean is more. You want to see more threes by Tyrese Maxey. And to your point, last year he took 4.2 per 36 minutes. This year it's 6.6. That's a pretty significant increase now part of that comes down to you know james harden and he wasn't around all last year but even going out through this year you know he's probably taking about five and a half per 36 in the first half of the year he's taken almost seven over the last month and a half that's great that's all great and he's a player where he's got other shit running through his head he's got to not suck at defense he's got to run the show at other times uh so he he can't just be this I, I, Duncan Robinson is the name that just keeps coming yeah. to mind, but it's just a guy who, okay, fine. You're an NBA player. You're a starter, but you're just a gunslinger. You're a limited guy running off screens and that's all you do. Tyrese has to do other stuff. Basically my point is I want him to shoot more. I think he can shoot more in the future. 
but I think you got to be happy with the progress that he's making. Yep. 100%. Still got a lot of room to grow. Over 40% of his looks come from three. That's good. Concerning what else he can do off the dribble, that's a, a good number for sure. Uh, Anything else from really the last two games that you want to touch on before we get into some nerdy CBA type shit? I thought in the Raptors game, the Harden and bench unit, that's the best they've ever looked. That is what they should do in the playoffs. It doesn't have to be that exact unit, but it should be Reed. It should be Harden. Probably should should be McDaniels. Probably McDaniels. I would consider saying that Dan House should get one of those spots. Like McDaniels has not been playing great basketball. You like him because he's long and athletic and switchable, but he's not been playing particularly great basketball of late. But I just like what like he the look represents. Of it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and they went with Shake Milton as the other one, which I kind of like because then, you know, I, I think Melton would be the, in Milton's spot, would be the absolute chaos lineup. But Shake is like long enough where he yeah. can compete. He's also, if you get stops, he's a secondary transition ball handler who's pretty good. Number one. Um, he's also somebody that they were using him as a screener with Harden. He's like, if you put the weakest defender on Shake Milton and have him as the screen for Harden role, and then mm-hmm. like Harden was feeding him for four on threes, that's going to work. Like he's qualified to do that. Uh, so whoever it is, if it's Melton, if it's Shake, Daniel's house, whoever, if, you know, maybe you go PJ in those lineups too. I like the way that looks, and I like when Harden is cooking, he can get them good shots. I, I just. I really like Reed's ability to switch too. Like that that's the whole point there is that the Raptors kept, you know, screening, trying to take him one-on-one. It does not work that well. No. He stays in front of people. Yep. And it's very valuable considering that is the only thing James Harden could do on defense. Only we had been saying this in the preseason. Maybe somebody could have relayed that to the eh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, Speaking you would like shape, to see them what, rep it. More. What what'd you make of his up and down minutes lately. It's pretty much a DNP CD until late last night. Yeah. Well, he's, he's kind of on the edge of that rotation where, you know, some, some nights the rotation is nine and sometimes it's 10. Uh, I like shake. I, I like when he plays. So I don't really know. Like it's, I haven't really dug into like the matchup dependency of it. Yeah. I don't know. Like what, what type of teams do you think he plays best against? I don't even really know. Yeah, I mean it's 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 because he can get swallowed up by length a little bit. Um, I think, I kind of think Milwaukee's a bad matchup for him because he's kind of a slow release guy. Yeah, but I'm not sure like Boston's a great matchup for him either. Well, no. Then again, just, it's not like they're just good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of like the games with Shake. The, the games that are up and down, even though he's not a particularly fast player, I think he's somebody who's pretty good with the scrambled court though you know like yeah. yep. where he, he doesn't always create the individual advantages by himself but if they are presented to him if there are An outlet passed by harden and four on three up. situations yeah. and stuff like that i think he's pretty smart with that so who knows like if they play brooklyn i think that could be a pretty good matchup for him in the uh i think in the first yeah. round it, it should be a good matchup for everybody for right <laughs> right uh yeah but I think sometimes we look at it and we go, oh, well, you know, who's his minutes going to come from? It's going to come from House, McDaniels. Well, in the playoffs, maybe it comes from George. And you just maybe. go a little bit more smaller lineups around Paul Reed uh, and or 
and B, depending on which stagger group you want them with. Uh, I think that's probably more the answer, more so than any of the other wings. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, moving on to nerdy CBA shit. Over the weekend, uh, on Saturday... The reports started coming out of the Players Association and the NBA coming to an agreement on a new collective bargaining agreement, which would take would go into effect starting next year. I believe it, both sides have an out after six years, so that is a pretty long time. There were a lot of things that have come out. Some of them, it feels like the details are half known. Some of them, there's still some things to be reported. I guess the biggest one is probably that second salary Double cap, apron. apron. Yep. So, yeah, baby, you know, if, if you've been listening to this podcast or following either Rich or my writing over the last year, we've talked about the apron a lot. It is basically a way to curb spending for the highest spending teams uh, to, you know, provide restrictions to try to keep people under that limit. The second apron will be seventeen and a half million dollars over the luxury tax line. You will lose the taxpayer mid-level, which before you had. You will uh, lose being able to include cash in trades. You will not be able to include first round picks that are seven years out in trades. You will not be able to sign players on the buyout market, which is really limiting. Uh, and you can no longer take on more money than you send out in trades. They also then increase some of the lower exceptions. The mid-level exception will be increased seven and a half percent over what it previously was. And the room exception, a 30% increase. So basically, if you are under that under the various apron thresholds with enough space to use your non-taxpayer mid-level it will now be more valuable so again they're trying to keep teams uh to limit their spending or at least prevent super teams like we have seen sort of with the warriors there's 
a whole bunch of other stuff. Veteran extension limits increased. There is the non-max rookie scale extensions you can now have for five years instead of four. That could come into play with Tyrese Maxey. What other? There's a third two-way slot. There's luxury tax brackets will change a little bit. There's an in-season tournament. All-NBA? Yep. Weed's been removed from the anti-drug testing, which felt like absurd that it was in there for as long as it was, but that's been removed. All-NBA teams are positionless, like you just referenced. But you got to play 65 games. Yeah, there's a 65-game minimum. But then again, like there's never been an MVP that's played fewer than 65 games, so this almost feels like it's solving a narrative rather than solving a problem. But whatever. Whatever. I got in an argument with somebody on Twitter about that over the weekend. It's the Joel Embiid rule. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, he wouldn't play 65 games. Well, the last two years, he did play 65 games. And he came in second. Well, he came in second last year in MVP. We'll see what happens this year. It might be the Embiid-Jokic rule then, because maybe it happens to Jokic this year. Whatever. He has played enough games over the past couple of years to qualify, and that was even with missing three weeks due to COVID a season ago. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a... It's a minor part in terms yeah. of team building, but I yep. think that what else? That There's, double apron is what stood the out. Double the double apron is a big one, especially as the Sixers are just about to get very expensive if they re-sign Harden. That is, and those changes, and obviously there's then players can invest in NBA and WA teams, and they can promote and invest in sports betting and cannabis companies. Was the other big one. Like I said, there's still I think probably some things that we will see how it shakes out. But yeah, I think the double apron is the biggest one for the Sixers. I mean, yeah, it's it's still unknown exactly what a lot of these provisions. This is still kind of half baked. Like these reports come out, you know, every couple hours, where it's like it includes this thing, it includes yeah. that thing. We don't know. Like, wh- there's an element of we don't know when these are going to be implemented. Too, you know, I think there is there's some talk that it could actually be baked in over time, where it might not occur in the following season here. Um, Oh, so speaking that, of which, there's there's cap smoothing, too, where yes. they're correcting the mistake they made with the Kevin Durant super team. There is now cap smoothing for this next TV deal. I'm trying to think. What, what else? I mean, I think what this might come down to is, you know, we, we've talked a lot about there's a lot of players the Sixers have. Jalen McDaniels, George Niang, Shake Milton, who are coming up and, and are free agents this offseason. You bring back all of them, you're going to be approaching this double apron. Could you see one of them walk now because they want to keep some flexibility? Because again, going over the what you lose by being over that double apron, taxpayer Emily, including cash and trades, not that the Sixers have first round picks, but can't trade a pick seven years out and signing players in the buyout market and lopsided trades like that's a lot. That is a lot to give up when you're talking about flexibility, maybe at the trade deadline or any number of things. If you go to ESPN, they had a, a recent article where they listed previous trades have been made that wouldn't be able to be made under this new collective bargaining agreement. And the Sixers are going to be up there with those teams that would be facing that double apron. So yeah, it is, it is, I think that is the one to watch out for. We will, I'm sure probably both end up writing something on that when a little more of the details become available, but that is the one to watch out for at least right now where the Sixers are. I like that second round picks are not a part of the mid-level exception anymore Agreed. too. That's just agreed. That never really seemed to make that much sense to me. Yep. I don't know. If yep. first round picks aren't what second round, I don't know. So, yep. And in in the past, uh, if your first round picks always had slotted 
salaries and you could then use an exception. There's basically a first round pick exception where you would you could always sign your first round pick. Second round picks, you either had to have cap space or use an exception. That could be a minimum salary exception or a part of your mid-level. Now you don't have to worry about that. And the Sixers have signed a number of their second round picks with mid-levels over the years. Uh, now you just get a uh, an exception used for that. I think that's a good change. I like the extra two-way. I, I don't think that could hurt, you know, yep. to just be able to, you know, we, we've seen different players around the league hit and giving more players an opportunity. I, th- I think you'll see more success stories of the Caruso and Covington. Paul Reed. Paul Reed George, was a two-way, right? George Niang, you know, like Shake Milton a was a two-way. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think giving those guys, uh, just giving teams more chances to, uh, to bring players up and down would be a uh, a good change. The uh, what what was the other thing? I was thinking, what do you think of the in season tournament? I think I'm gonna hate it. Probably, probably. And like, what the winning team gets a 500k bonus per player? You think Joel Embiid's gonna be going all out because you're giving him 500k? I don't know. I don't know. And it's just and like like it's not adding too many games. I think the winning team gets one extra game per year, right? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about, like, I think most of us probably believe in a perfect NBA that didn't wasn't worried about money, you would have fewer games, like maybe 72 games. Going yes. the wrong way is not necessarily what I want to hear. And I don't think, you know, I think they're hoping to get something that will draw some interest and be exciting. And I'm not sure this is going to be exciting, but I don't know. I've been we'll talking see. about it for a while, so it's not a huge surprise, but. I'm not saying I'm going to hate it. I just don't think it's going to move the needle at all. Yeah. I think I'm just going to shrug and be like, Okay, okay, whatever. But, you know, if, if they are playing in Las Vegas for the play-in championship game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know. What, what not not going to care. Uh, it is like, you know, they're trying to solve this load management problem in every way except for the way that will actually solve it. Like, and that, again, it makes sense. Like, I'm, I'm not sitting here expecting the NBA to be like, yes, let's make less money and play fewer games. That I never really thought that was on the cards. Unless somebody came up with a real strong, you know, study that playing fewer games will make each game more appointment viewing. And because stars are more likely to play, your ratings will go up and your next TV deal will be like you would have to have a really concrete sort of study to prove that playing fewer games won't impact your bottom line. The only real solution to load management, though, is playing fewer games. That's like that's the only way like the 65 game minimum. You you just saw Drew Holiday come in and play one possession so we could get a bonus. Okay. You'll start seeing nonsense like that. And then they'll have to react and make a rule that you can't do that or some stupid bullshit. There's only one way to solve load management and it's play fewer games. That's, that's it. That's it. Do you think the, the apron as which we think is the the biggest part of this. Do you think this deal affects probably affects big market teams more, right? Yeah. They're usually teams up near the apron. Yeah. The San Francisco's LA's, Phillies when they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And look, the Sixers are probably on the lower end of that. The two teams that came to mind right away when I saw that were the, the Golden State Warriors and yep. the Steve Bombers. They, yep. uh, but you know, the, the Sixers, they, they do have an expensive team. Um, if you didn't know, they didn't pay the luxury taxes here. So I didn't they have that. the ability to spend up to a, up on uh, a certain level. I'm just here to let you know. <laughs> I didn't see any kind of changes there for um, any kind of repeater tax or anything like that. I haven't seen anything reported on that. Uh, they will have a clean slate going for next year. 
because they will need it because if James Harden comes back, they will be well, well, well over the luxury tax. Well over the luxury tax. Uh, which is why we're focusing so much on that double apron. But yeah, not too much else there. Again, I waiting to see exactly how the details on how all of this shakes out. Uh, but those were some of the key takeaways. It, my head was spinning a little bit over the weekend because it felt like like this all came in like drips. So like mm-hmm. you'd see it and then you'd like wrap your head around it. And then four hours later, another piece of news would come out and you wrap your head around it. And like a day later, more news would come out. And it's like, all right, can we just like get this all at once, please? So I can digest it and or more specifically, so Larry Kuhn can digest it. And then I can just piggyback off of the work that he did. That would be great. That would be great. It remains to be seen, you know, all of the details, who who are the big winners, who are the big losers when it comes to team building. There's a there. I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but I, I believe there was also the, the designated player extensions that there's no limit to two anymore. Right. But, yeah. Yep. It is big. You know, I don't think the Sixers are. Sixers only have Embiid, right? Only have Embiid. Do you think Maxie's going to get. We can talk about that in a couple of months. <laughs> No, I would say probably that. not. He might be in play probably for a max. Not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect a super max. No. Ben was one, right? Though, right before they traded him. Mm-hmm. And now he is the worst contract in the NBA. Only so. seventy nine mil over the next two seasons. Only. And the Sixers are going to play him in a playoff series. Well, and he is. Not they'll going play, to play his team. Yeah. 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 I guess this is the only way it could end. So. <laughs> that's important to a team like Cleveland. I think you know who I think has a, a very bright future and has a bunch of young players that are super max worthy. And overall, I think the league should be trying to veer a little bit away or at least try to make super teams a little bit harder to maintain. Like if you are going to try to keep all of your stars, I think it should be tough to build around that. You know, I think we've always said that stars are the most underpaid players in the NBA uh, and getting them and getting multiple of them is always a way to build a championship. You're not going to create more stars, so the only way to really have competitive balance is to spread those stars across more teams in the league. One way to do that is to actually make it, you know, tough, make you question whether, well, do we really need that third star or should we go get a couple of role players? And is this going to completely do that? No. In a game where there's only one basketball, stars are going to have a lot of value. But this at least moves a needle a tiny bit, I think. So I think overall, while it might impact the Sixers, I think it's good for the league. Maybe not everywhere they need to go to really have true competitive balance, but I think it will help a little bit. I think it especially leads to like, if you have the best two-star model, I think, I think you have a chance to be very competitive that way with how restrictive it is. Like you said, once you get in a super team level where you're paying three guys around max money, it's just going to be, it's going to be very hard to build quality depth around them unless you already have it in-house which is very hard to do considering most teams trade for stars now and they get rid of that quality depth while uh acquiring those stars yep yeah while doing so so we'll see i i would say remains to be seen who's going to be the uh the winners and losers of of all these changes especially because we don't exactly know what's going on but i will say it's cool that they got it done too. Like they got it done without did you, did missing you see that from time. John Hollinger where what? like a lot of NBA GMs don't even have the actual text. They're, they're getting these updates from Shams and Woj. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And obviously like there would have been discussions. They wouldn't know like the generalities of a lot of these changes, but not actually getting the, uh, the CBA. What a world. You we know, all I, learn I, from Woj and Shams. 
it only becomes real with that stuff when Larry Kuhn right. publishes an update to his website. Yep. So, yeah, I, you know, we will uh, we'll see what happens. But it's it's cool that, I mean, not everybody remembers 2011. That's a long time ago. That sucked. <laughs> yes. It's horrible. Yep. And the, and the basketball that followed it was freaking horrible. What did they play? 60 games yeah. at Christmas? Ugh, awful. They're no. playing back to back to backs. Ugh. No, to your point, getting this done without any kind of work stoppage is massive. It's massive, especially for, certainly for fans, but especially for people whose livelihood is built around fans caring about the game. They care a lot more when you're actually playing it. So props to the NBA. Definitely. The, uh, and, and I think it goes to show that things are pretty good and, as much as people hand ring about the the ratings, which in some ways is understandable, I think they're going to get paid a, a decent chunk of change on this next TV deal. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that they don't do any kind of like Amazon Thursday night flex bullshit. But other than that, other yeah. than that, <laughs> all right. I think uh, I think that is a pretty good place to cut it off. Like you said, there are a couple games coming up here. Most notably, the one Tuesday night against Boston. Outside of that, maybe not a whole lot of interesting basketball until we get to the first round of the playoffs, which is, you know, two weeks away. But How would you will, handle this last week here? I would go pretty hard against Boston and then go from there. Uh, I think if I was going to give Embiid and Harden time off, I'd probably give them off together so that they can continue to sort of get that rhythm back on the court. Uh, I, I would want to play them together when they do play, but I would certainly give them at least one game off down the stretch. See, I would give him two. I, I would say. I said at least. I okay. said at least. Pretty hard. Definitely play hard against Boston because I, I think that is. Could be a meaningful game for the Sixers. If they can win, get it in your head that you can at least beat that team. Um, and maybe play hard against Atlanta just because of the one past. Of the two, one of the two. Whether <laughs> Exercise some demons. Yeah, I don't really care which one it is. If if, if they're feeling great, maybe they don't. I just go to kind Atlanta. of enjoy beating Trey Young, so I would play hard in that game. Sure. He annoys me. Well, well, then you could pick on them. Although that team just literally wins and loses and wins and loses. Yeah, it's amazing. Game. Again, go to John Hollinger. He has the stats, but they've been within one game of 500 for like months now. Like road record, home record, record over the last however many games, perfectly 500. It's amazing. I think their net rating is pretty much even. It's amazing. It's amazing. They're like one point off for the yeah. entire year. I think they're yeah. minus one for the entire like minus one point, not minus one point in net rating. One. There's a lot of points scored in NBA season. The, <laughs> yes. the exact same is uh, is pretty wild. So the way I would handle it is you definitely go hard for Boston. That's the hardest game you try. And you, you figure out with them being hard and which one of Atlanta, Miami do you want to play? Do you not want to go to Atlanta and, and you're okay, you know, playing with one night off against Miami? That's fine. You know, play another home game in, in front of them. Or go down to Atlanta, beat Trey Young, like you said. One of those it's, two, and then Brooklyn. You're not doing anything against them. Yep, yep. You are congratulating them for a win if they need it, and say we will see you in a week. <laughs> to Rich's point, the Hawks have scored nine thousand two hundred nine points so far this year, and Atlanta opponents have scored nine thousand two hundred ten. So you are right; they are a negative <laughs> one, not a negative one per one hundred possessions. Negative one point over eighteen thousand. And what is that? 29 combined points. It's amazing. Okay. I changed my mind on what they're doing at the end of the year, the Sixers. They need to see how far, like if there's like a 20 point Atlanta win, 
They have, they have to, to beat, beat them by 20? By exactly 20. <laughs> if there's a 20-point loss, then you lose by 20. It's Some things are more important than... Yep, I agree. I agree. I agree. It's amazing. 18,019 points, and they are a negative one. Incredible. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.